Welcome to Hundreds of Ways, the podcast that celebrates entrepreneurship and lifestyle independence. This week, Julia Shu describes her transition from the big corp life at Disney and Alibaba to working with over 30 startups since going freelance earlier this year. So join us as we explore which of the hundreds of ways belongs to Julia. Hey, James. Good evening. Good morning, Elliot. How are you? I'm doing great. Other than the tornado and torrential downpour we had last night, <laughs> uh, we seem to have made it through. City's all right. And it's a beautiful sunny day here in Chicago. What's going on on your side of the Atlantic? Perfect. I am recovering from a cold. So five cups of coffee, a nap and four vitamin Bs later, I am a functioning adult. <laughs> That's which a stretch, is good. but I'll give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> which is good because today we have another wonderful guest, Julia Shu. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, everyone. Pleasure to be here today. Julia is probably our most corporately decorated guest to date. Her resume has some <laughs> serious heavy hitters on it, companies like Disney, McKinsey, and Alibaba North America. And while I want to spend some time talking about your previous experience, I'd like to start off discussing your current work. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do? Sure. So I'm currently a startup business consultant, so helping mostly early stage entrepreneurs with business strategies, financial models, operations management. It's pretty interesting type of role, basically get to work with people in all kinds of fields, doing different type of things. And yeah, I think it's like my first step into entrepreneurship officially away from corporate. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, congratulations on making, the, on making the shift. So when you talk about business projections and financial analysts for startups, that's a very broad topic. What sorts of projects do you typically do for your clients? So I would say 80% of my projects are probably financial modeling. So I just built a bunch of financial models. And you mentioned that I worked at Disney before. I actually um, was building the global financial model for Disney Plus, the video streaming service that launched last year. And it's hopefully everyone's watching it right now during quarantine. <laughs> oh, I've heard of it. <laughs> yeah. Just briefly. <laughs> So one of the things I think about finance, so my wife is a finance and accounting professional, and even sitting next to her on a daily basis, I often don't fully understand the work that she does. And even as a business owner now for over five years, I'm not always aware of what I need or what I lack from a finance perspective. So when you talk about doing financial modeling for your clients, what sorts of problems do these clients have that you're solving with this financial modeling? Yeah. So I think most typically, if they are running a business, they don't necessarily know all the type of revenue model that's you know associated with the business. Like, what are the different sources? What is their actual cost? Like the direct cost versus you know overhead and overall, just what's the profitability and projection for the business? So, I think that's what I'm helping a lot of entrepreneurs solve, especially if they don't come from like a finance and strategy background. It's very easy to just focus on the fun stuff like branding and you know trying to get the products right, but is this actually a product that's scalable in terms of uh, if you look at the numbers and can you pitch it to an investor and raise money? Okay, Very cool. Yeah, I think one of the things with startups that you hear sometimes is this idea of the numbers don't always make sense, especially with, with like you said, these companies that focus so much on product first. You know, there's the, the old adage, oh, yes, we're not profitable, but we'll make up for it in volume. And having someone like you that's able to come in and go, hey, this product is great, but the numbers aren't going to work, especially as you scale, can be super helpful to these early stage companies. Yeah, totally. Within startups, is there a niche that you work in at all? Or is it kind of just anyone who's early stage? So I try to focus on D2C e-commerce brands. I try to like build my presence, especially in that industry, because 
personally very interested in it. I think like down the road, that's something I want to pursue. But lately actually got, I don't know, just involved in a lot of random industries like biotech, like pharmaceutical, like agriculture, education, which is interesting. I think I try to branch out and like basically work with any projects that I find interesting. And sometimes they're very different, especially I'm like, I can only probably experience those different industries now as a consultant. But yeah, I, I hope that going forward, after I've explored a couple different industries, I can come back to like D2C e-commerce and hoping to also build a online course around it, D2C e-commerce financial modeling. Very cool. I'm processing all of this because it's <laughs> a lot of this is foreign to me. So taking a couple of notes here, but some of the conventional advice that I was given as a startup founder or founder in general going on my own entrepreneurial path was focus on a specific niche. And it sounds like you found that within startups, but it's also a broad array of startups. You have this focus within B2C, but also, as you said, biotech and a variety of other uh, companies that are featured online. Right. How do you find that when you're going to talk to a founder or going to talk to a company, they receive that. Are they excited that you have a breadth of experience or are they really looking for somebody who's really narrowed down in whatever field that they're in? I think most of them, if they're just looking for, say, like financial modeling, business strategy help, it doesn't seem like they mind you having like a lot of different type of industry experience because for consultants, that's pretty typical. But I do think like having some past like relevant industry experience is helpful. Like it's so much easier for me to build a model for DC e-commerce. I know it like inside and out, like for a subscription business, right? Disney plus model, I can like basically, I, I can talk about the live items in my dream probably. Like I've been building <laughs> the same model for two years. <laughs> so that's just, I think easier for me whereas in biotech, the ramp up is like, it takes a while. Like I need to learn about the whole industry. I have no idea how the modernization model even works. So yeah, I think hopefully going forward, I think as I'm also exposed to more industries, it'll be just like knowledge built upon like what I've done before, hopefully. So that's a really fascinating thing I think about finance is that there is this process and number level that is the same across industries, but then there is this very unique aspect to each kind of business in the different way that the finances play out. How much of your time would you say is spent dealing with kind of finance fundamentals and how much is spent, like you said, figuring out these different business models? Earlier, you mentioned, you know, the different inputs and the different outputs and how things are, are classified as expenses or, or not. Given that in any given finance project, you're going to be spending time with kind of these fundamentals as well as spending time with these industry specifics. How much time on a given project are you working with, with one or, or, or the other? Yeah, so I think that most of my time is probably spent understanding the actual business model and the market landscape associated with that specific industry, the business competitor, market sizing, all that kind of stuff, because these are the inputs that that's going to flow into the model. The actual technicality part of the model doesn't take that long. Like, I mean, Disney trained me pretty well. I <laughs> like basically, <laughs> like probably can turn a model, like if I already know the structure in 30 minutes or something, it's like really quick. Wow. But the, the part that you really have to spend time is understanding a business model. Like, does it make sense? Like, yeah. how do you translate some of the founder's idea and long-term strategy into numbers that make sense? And that may include building out different scenarios, like creating a different type of outputs to showcase like their story. I think that part is what takes the time, especially depending on like new industry, right? Like new industry, I think that takes even longer just understanding the whole like terminology the jargons and yeah so 
I'm fascinated by all of this, but again, it's really not my realm. It's not what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. Would you be able to just contextualize what you're saying by applying it to one of the clients that you've worked with? I'm on your website and I see this amazing array of a roster of clients you have. Could you just give an example of who you worked with and apply what you just said to what you did with them? Kind of contextualize it a little bit? Yeah. So I'll take Intimately.co as an example. So they're basically like a woman underwear brand or laundry brand. For women with and they're in the direct consumer kind of space, correct? Yes, yes. So they're really Got new. I, the founder is also a Brown recent grad. So I've been helping them as like fractional CFO, COO, and just like scaling the business. So initially, really quick, I'm going to interrupt you. Mm-hmm. For people who don't know, fractional CFO, that would be somebody who's taking on that role part time or outside of the company, but not as a full on full time CFO, correct? Right. Good to note that. <laughs> I take it for granted. Um, <laughs> yeah, no worries. So I do it all the time. Basically, building a financial model and figuring out the margin for a different type of business. So whether if it's like reselling other products or developing their own product, the margin is like quite different. And obviously, if you have your own product, it's better margin. So there's more scaling potential, but also kind of figuring out the social element because we're empowering women with disabilities. We're trying to create beautiful lingerie for women with disabilities and basically showing that disability is beautiful and there's things to appreciate about any type of body. I think it's like one step further than just the adaptive apparel that we see these days. And there's currently not a lot of focus on women with disabilities. So the community aspect and the actual like empowering aspect, I think is also really important. So we're launching community, actually launching this week. So we're trying to create, yeah, new things to bring people together and that involves the actual like back end of like the form hosting it event scheduling and bringing together influencers which is kind of the fun part and that's like my COO side I would say and then on the CFO side is making sure okay once we have the operations part growing once we have our audience built out how do we really scale the business and we're kind of in parallel developing our own product finding manufacturers and scaling that hopefully in the next couple of years so I think that's like a pretty interesting example because there's like so many different elements. It's not just modeling, which is more fun for me. Um, Whereas other projects, you know, it's probably all just me building a model and making some pitch decks, which is also interesting, but I don't get like as much like (laughs) hands-on fun experience aside from a model. I just want to follow up on that really quick. It sounds like at Disney, you were doing one thing. You had, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you had one job. And here, you're doing everything from... P&L to manufacturing, audience growth, community, influencers even. And so how do you even get started? How do you start? When a company comes to you and they say, we want you to come in and consult for us, what are they asking you to do? And then how does that evolve? Yeah. So I think that most of the time I get into like working with a company from a financial modeling project and it usually expands from there. Just because I think everyone knows that I do financial modeling, I'll, like I told everyone that I'm going to do it. Everyone that's what knew it says that on I your website. The... That's your brand, yeah. of course. <laughs> and honestly, that's like the I guess like the hard skill that probably has the most selling potential or value that you know people know exactly what they're getting from with working with me. Whereas if I'm like I'm just doing strategy, like what does that mean, right? Like right. what is the deliverable? So it's very common for me to kind of start working with founders 
from a financial modeling project or like a data analysis hyper project. And then afterwards expand the role and realize that, oh, there are like different things I can start working on. And I think I didn't mention, but in college, I actually started my own nonprofit startup that's helping single mothers and basically just making knit hats and scarves and we sell at the Brown University bookstore and give all the profit back to the moms. So it was like a very cute, very fun idea. It was like not a real business, really. It's just more like volunteering and social impact work. But that's kind of all about like operations, about marketing. So I had some experience in that, just like building my own thing. And I think that's like the process I really enjoyed. But Unfortunately, then went on the corporate route and basically didn't have a chance to sure. use any of those skills. I, I love the unfortunately. I think I used a little bit of that when I was at Alibaba because I was a chief of staff of Alibaba US, which chief of staff just means that you do a little bit of everything. And it was definitely more <laughs> ops, less financial model. I remember I was like, I wasn't touching Excel for so long and it felt super weird watching other people model because i'm like always the one who's supposed to be live modeling <laughs> and driving them up so yeah i think like those kind of experience just all in very different fields different background and then now kind of applying that to startups that are growing and are personally like a mission that i'm personally passionate about i find it like really fulfilling I think one note that you said there is so many entrepreneurs, or from my perspective, so many entrepreneurs want to go out and do everything. When I started, I said, I offer these 100 services. And what I get out of what you just shared is that the way in is one vertical or one offering that you're really good at. And that's how you get into a company. And then you begin building the relationships with the leadership there. And they understand, wow, Julia has this capability or this capacity and can help us with this. And that's how you grow a relationship. And that's how you can really establish long-term client relationships. You get your foot in the door for what you're known for. And then you can grow that relationship and build that as a, as a consultant. Yeah. And I think that is the same for a lot of startup, like for a lot of business, right? It's really hard to get known as like a one size fit all type of brand. You have to be very niche. You maybe have like one hero product. And then from there, you kind of expand your potential, like offering people already know about your brand and maybe they'll like come and purchase like more different stuff. I think it's like the same thing. It's easier to get like basically known for like one specific niche and one specific i think like feature and then later on grow from there right i I think all birds comes to mind they have one killer shoe that everyone knew about and was sustainable and had all these great features that they brought to market and then rolled out another shoe and another shoe and now they're doing underwear and socks and you grow from there so similar with any startup or consultancy you start with one thing you're really good at and then grow it from there instead of trying to do all 100 things and be the jack of all trades, if you will. Yep. I love the way that you put this. So one of the things I think that excites a lot of entrepreneurs, and it's something that's come up in almost every episode we've done so far, is this idea of wearing many hats. That as an entrepreneur, every day, you're going to be doing something a little bit different. And for people who maybe have had a more traditional job, similar to the, to the career you had previously, that sounds really exciting, right? So, you know, after spending... X number of years working on the Disney Plus financial model, the idea of doing anything might sound really, really interesting. But I love that you put it in these terms of as an entrepreneur, yes, you get to do these things and you will do these things. But when you're focused on selling and when you're focused on attracting clients and then working through that sales process and closing them, it really is about 
trying to, to hone in on the one thing that you can do, the one problem you can solve for them. And then like Elliot said, growing that relationship, growing your authority with that customer to a point where they start letting you do all these other things. It's very similar for me, even though we're in very different fields. Elliot and Julia and I are in very, very different fields. But in tech, it's the same thing. On my site, I focus on very, very specific aspects of what I do. But most of my projects eventually grow to the point where I'm this kind of bizarre combination of CTO and also I'm doing design and I'm the product manager and maybe I'm doing their website. Maybe I'm talking to clients or customers and working on new features. And that is not something that other than maybe starting a company myself, I would get to do. But because I focus on, hey, you want me to build this app, I can build your app. Eventually, I get to the point where I get to do all these other fun things. So thank you, Julia, so much for sharing that because I think it's so cool for our listeners to hear it. It's the mini hats, but there's a path to it that is a lot simpler and more straightforward. Totally. And as you mentioned, building website, I even started building a website for some of my clients and I have zero technical background. So definitely learned a lot of things like in this journey. And sometimes it's just like in, in a startup, especially they just need someone to figure something out and it could be in anything, right? Like if you like really are the person who's like reliable and can solve the problem, you get experience and you get the exposure. And I think that's also why I like really enjoy starting off as a consultant, because I'm not really sure about exactly what I want to personally build. If I were to do like a real startup, um, I call it like my current one, not really a real one. I'm still like more on a freelancer realm than like actually be an entrepreneur. But you basically learn from all the other entrepreneurs, like mistakes or things that they need to resolve the problems and you get a really like a bird's eye view of this whole like entrepreneurial world before you actually go full in and like commit your time into just like one idea and building one thing. There's a lot of literature and and Instagram personalities talking about the different kind of mindsets and personality that you need to be an entrepreneur. And I think a lot of it's bullshit in terms of you don't need to be this this crazy hustler. You don't need to be working 80-hour weeks. But, but the things that you do need are to be flexible and to be helpful. And I think that those are the two biggest things. And just like Julia said, if you have a client and you remain flexible and helpful throughout that engagement, they're going to come to you with with things that are not in your area, right? Julia's website, her site for her services, don't say that she builds websites. But because she has become the go-to person for these clients, when these clients hit a wall and they go, oh crap, we don't have the skill set in-house. We have a problem. We need it solved. They go to Julia because she has proven to them that she's capable of taking on whatever challenge. And so that's where you really want to get with your customers and with your clients as a freelancer or a service professional is at the point where you're just they have a problem and they're just going to come to you because they know that you'll solve it. Totally. And I think Google is your best friend. Um, there's nothing <laughs> you can't figure out through Google if you like are willing to put in time to learn. I figure out like a bunch of domain issues and like how to how to even code and fix some codes while I have like no idea what codes are. And, you know, just through Google and watching YouTube videos. So um, I think that mindset is important. Completely unrelated anecdote, but one of my best friend's dads just texted him the other day. I was with him and he said, uh, oh my gosh, have you heard of this thing called YouTube? And we go, of course we've heard of YouTube. <laughs> and he's sitting there with a power washer rented from Home Depot. Something had broke on it. He's like, there's a video on here on how to fix this exact thing that broke on the power washer. There's a video for everything. And as ridiculous as that may sound, there's literally a YouTube video for everything. And yeah. we've talked about the value on this podcast. We've talked about the value of university and 
you know, the connections you get out of it. But if you want to learn anything, it's on the internet. And so somebody else on this podcast said recently, it's great to take on a project that's a little bit out of your comfort zone and do that extra coding or the website or whatever it might be, as long as you know, it's in the realm of your capability, because you can learn to do it and then grow your own capabilities and offerings through that by using that client's request. So great note there. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about the what and a little bit about the how, but one of the things that's super exciting about you coming on is that you're relatively new to entrepreneurship, correct? Pretty new. Started this maybe like five months ago officially. So this is so cool because we've had most people we've had on the last few episodes been doing this for a few years. And one of the things Tim actually brought up a couple episodes ago was that as an entrepreneur with things moving and changing so fast, within a year or two of you doing this, you really forget what it's like to be a fresh freelancer, someone who is coming into this again from maybe a, maybe right out of college or maybe out from a more traditional career. It's really hard to remember what it was like, what your thought process was and all of that years down the road. Mm -hmm. So I'm super excited to have you on because I think you, you bring kind of this more fresh perspective. And especially mm -hmm. for our listeners who are maybe thinking of making these changes themselves, I think you'll have a lot that they can connect with. So since starting in May, how many clients have you worked with? Uh, I would say maybe 30, 40. I don't know. Like on average, maybe like almost 10 a month. Like sometimes I have 10 at once. Yeah, it's insane. So like, especially when I'm just building like a one off like financial model project, it's not going to take that long. And yeah, like I, I mean, I can start parallel building a bunch of models. Sometimes I realize that, oh, I just built like five models this week, and like five different models. Like one day I'm building a model for a prostate cancer test. The other day I'm building like a model for a berry farm. And <laughs> then I'm building a model for like a, I don't know, K-12 school. And then it's like, okay, e-commerce brand. And then there's like tech. So sometimes I feel like I'm going a little crazy myself and then <laughs> I like have podcasts, I have like live events where I need to go and talk and then it's like a different side of your brain and <laughs> it's, yeah, like I think it just definitely is very much you're just hustling and doing different type of things like all the time. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I think it's funny because, you know, there's this perception from we'll call them normal people, <laughs> people who don't <laughs> do what we all do, people who are sane and not crazy and risk taking. There's this perception that in these big corporate jobs, you get experience. And yeah, at Disney, getting to build the Disney Plus model is a huge experience. But in the last five months, you've had 30 or 40 different clients. You've worked on 30 or 40 different projects. Like that is experience. And that's in five months. So that's something that's just so cool, I think, to doing this entrepreneurship thing is just the speed at which you get to experience things. Yeah. And it feels like I'm building my own business going away. Like TBD if I'm still actually <laughs> going to business school. But like, basically, if I want to learn about something, I just go like find a client in that industry. But so far, honestly, I've like done zero direct outreach to clients. Like I just have people like coming to me, which is pretty fortunate. And I think networking earlier paid off. I didn't mention, but I took a month off and full-time networked, probably had a hundred cups of coffee and that led to all my client initially. So yeah, I think it's just like you get to learn about all the different fields and work with so many different people, which like whatever you do, like down the road is super beneficial, I think. So I was just going to jump in at kind of what your sales cycle was like and what that process looks like. But it sounds like everything is through personal connections, which is really exciting for you. Yeah, I would say 
personal connection and then networking. So I like caught up with all my past friends and coworkers, mm-hmm. which is like a lot. I think like yeah. I literally went back to the Disney office like pretty shamelessly and I wasn't even at Alibaba that long. So it was like not even a year since I left. So I like went back and I got coffee with everyone there and I was basically like I guess like I'm back and trying to just like catch up with everyone and that was unexpectedly helpful because a lot of my old boss actually happened to know people in New York who are also doing like entrepreneurship in the field I'm interested in. So they connect me with their friends. Their wives actually are working on super cool stuff that I'm like really interested in. I get connected to them and they connect me with other people. So I think that was like a really good step, just basically opening up yourself and telling everyone exactly, you know, this is what I'm doing. Uh, Can you help me? And chances are there are people who you think will help you that ends up not being very helpful. And there are people who you were just like, I'm just going to go catch up with this person, no expectation and realize that, wow, actually, they really helped you a lot, like, or even finding like your next client. So yeah, I think just like kind of keeping open minded and first like hitting up your old network, and then also like expanding your new network. So I was basically attending all startup events in New York that I can find. <laughs> it was insane. I think I would like do like 10 back to back like coffee slash events in a day. And I'm like running around from I live in Brooklyn now I would like go up <laughs> starting from like FIDA and then going up to like, I don't know, <laughs> Union Square. And then I'm like going to like upper side and then just like kind of running around town all day and meeting with like different people. And I found that just like, really paid off like later on I started to realize you know that's when I started getting people reaching out to me because they all heard like their friend who like know that this person's building financial model and potentially maybe can help them build a model but also granted like there are not that many financial model freelancers out there I still (laughs) probably know I don't know like five maximum even after doing this for so long just not a lot of financial model builder or people with like corporate background who left corporate and became like an independent consultant. So there's that like pretty fortunate that way. Just not a lot of supplier competition, I guess. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I have to connect you with my friend in New York who she's the exact same way. There's not a night where she, a morning she doesn't have a coffee and a night she doesn't have drinks with somebody. I mean, she is the networking (laughs) queen of New York. So you guys get along. Oh my God. That would be awesome. Yeah. I feel like I still need to network more in New York (laughs) before. I mean, I was in LA mostly and then I moved to New York last year when I joined Alibaba, but I was flying to China every month, which means I literally didn't have a new, like New York, like real experience. Right. So yeah, I mean, oh my I gosh, she lived in LA hopefully. and just moved to New York last year too. So oh, wow. you guys get along <laughs> no, well. I need to, I need to talk to her. <laughs> but on networking, actually, a uh, uh, fun fact. So <laughs> when I was trying to get the Disney job, because at the time when I was in college, it was like the dream job, like working for Disney and their corporate strategy team. Like literally, I thought it was so cool. Turns out not to be so cool, but like <laughs> <laughs> at the time, I thought it was really cool. So I was super intense in trying to get this job. But I realized that actually they don't really take a lot of people that's not from Harvard. Like they don't have an info session. <laughs> uh, they only have an info session at Harvard, which is like not wow. that great, right? Like, but. But yeah, so it was hard to try to even get my foot in the door. And initially, I was just like, well, so what should I do? And I like started networking. So I literally hit up, I think, all the analysts. I like LinkedIn stocked the whole group and just spammed everyone through like <laughs> LinkedIn. And there's like those 
websites where you can find people's email or guess like the Disney format of the email and literally like emailed everyone. So I think I ended up talking to maybe like half the analyst class even before the first round interview or like even before they decided who to give the first round interview to. And I think like last minute I found out that they're actually hosting a session info session at Harvard the day off. And I just like hopped on a train and like showed up and I was like, yo, I'm like not from Harvard, but I really want this job. And I think that's how I like ended up getting it. So, you know, that probably made you stand out even more than the hundreds yeah. of Harvard students having the one brown student who just showed up because they, were, <laughs> they wanted a job so much. They're like, this is who we need to hire. And it's also showed up and everyone's like, oh, like I talked to her. She like bugged me through all social media channel possible. One dude, now we're like really great friends, but he was also a Brown alum. And I was like spamming him so much. And basically like, I need to talk to you. And he just like ignored my LinkedIn message, ignored my email. And I finally found his buddy in like maybe the same (laughs) frat house before who's like my friend. And then I was like, dude, can you connect me with him? And he started like a Facebook group chat. So like literally he can't ignore me. <laughs> he was like, oh. I can't believe you found my buddy. I guess I have to talk to you. So that was really funny. <laughs> I'm so glad so they reacted highlights. well. To that. <laughs> that is an amazing story though. So, yeah, they still make fun of me even until this day. <laughs> so this highlights something about networking, especially when you're just starting off that I think a lot of people don't understand is that networking is a network. It's not you and everyone you know, and then it's done. Networking is really this, you know, a lot of people and they all know a lot of people too. And so especially when you're starting out, like having these conversations with literally everyone, people like that. Yeah. Okay. Your mom's hairstylist probably doesn't need a financial model, but her cousin might be in a startup and might need that. And so you never know what kind of second degree connections, third degree connections you might have access to. And if you aren't comfortable being uncomfortable and going out and saying, hey, mom, can you ask your friends if they need any help with this new thing that I'm doing? Hey, these 400 people I have on LinkedIn that I literally never talked to, I'm going to send each one of them a message and let them know that this is a new thing I'm working on, that this is the kind of work that I'm working. uh, Sorry, this is the kind of work that I'm looking for now. You have to be comfortable to do that because you never know. Again, maybe not the person you message, but they might know someone who needs exactly the sort of thing that you're offering. So networking is huge and you really have to to be comfortable getting out there and and, and trying it. Yeah, I think that's a great, great summary of like all the stuff that I've done. And I'm a full believer of just kind of putting yourself out there, right? Like you don't have any expectation, but you're just letting other people know this is what you're trying to build and, you know, see what comes next. And you're always surprised with the different opportunities. If you keep doing good work, putting in like a lot of effort and, you know, being reliable and helpful, then things come to you. And this is something that's come up again in the show off and on is this idea of a lot of people aren't comfortable selling themselves. We have this unfortunate view of what sales is and isn't due to media. You know, a lot of people think it's this kind of wolf of Wall Street. I'm going to be bold and vulgar and eventually make a ton of money. But really, at the end of the day, what sales is, is you saying, hey, I do this thing. Do you need the thing? And if you do that enough, Eventually, you'll run into someone that goes, hey, I need the thing. You do the thing. Let's work together. Not only that, it's you're reaching out to people saying, I do the thing. I do it well. And it's ultimately going to help you. And Mm -hmm. so, so many people are scared to reach out and say, like, this is what I can do for you. But you're only saying, like, hey, I want to help you out and make your business better and grow your bottom line or whatever it might be. But 
that's what I always have to remember every time I get hung up on or somebody, you know, is unhappy with me reaching out. It's like, well, I'm just here trying to help you. That's what I'm, what I'm trying to do. So you're right. Sales has this negative connotation. And really at the end of the day, that's what you're, you're there to do is offer your service and help somebody out with it. Yeah. No one's going to hire Julia to put together a business model if they don't need one. You know, no one's going to be like, oh, Julia's really, she's twisting my arm. I really got to, I guess I'll pay her and she'll put together this business model for a business I don't have. People are only going to respond to your sales efforts if it's something that they're interested in. And so you should never be afraid to put yourself out there and say, just like Elliot said, this is what I do. I'm good at it. If it's something you need, I can help you. Yeah. I think sometimes unintentional sales actually work the best, right? Like they're Multiple times that I just thought, oh, someone's doing cool stuff. I'm just going to talk to them for like a coffee chat, like just a quick career type of advice chat. And it turns out into my next client. So <laughs> I think it's not uncommon, right? Like sometimes you, when you get connected and you actually get to know someone on a personal level, especially as a freelancer, like they actually like your story and actually believe that you can do the work. There is a no brainer if they actually need help in the area of your specialty that they're going to choose you over some like other random person who they found on Upwork and they have like no idea about their kind of background and story about. So connections are everything. I think that's a really good segue into my next question, which is just about when you're working with all of these different businesses, you've got, you know, a dozen clients sometimes a month or even at the same time. Is there ever a time when you feel like, wow, what am I doing? Why are they trusting me to do this? And the word that we use on this podcast a lot is imposter syndrome. But it's like, okay, I'm fresh off of a new job. I'm a new freelancer. Is that ever something that you experience or that comes up for you? Oh, totally. Like, (laughs) I don't know if I mentioned my age, but I just turned 25, which is very, very young. (laughs) And I'm like pissing myself with part that factors in all the time the age thing yeah and i'm like had two jobs and it's not like i had like a ton of experience and like already built a bunch of things so like a lot of times i would feel like well it's weird that at first i'm like it's so weird that people actually trust me to build this model i guess and then i'm now currently building like a basically figuring out the commercialization plan for a new prostate cancer test which is like you know the next groundbreaking revolutionary science i don't know i don't even know how to call it like literally when i joined i had like no idea what this is and trying to figure out like how do they actually go to market and it's really powerful that a lot of those people who are experts in those fields now basically came to someone who had like zero background in this industry right. <laughs> like right. don't really have a lot of years of experience and now it's like asking me like so how can we go and commercialize this technology. And I think that imposter syndrome is real. Sometimes I have those thoughts as well, but I just need to remind myself that, you know, there's a reason that people do trust you. And if they do, you just need to deliver and not let them down. And by doing that, you kind of try to overcome it over time as well. Something I think a lot of people forget when they're in this career path, especially when they are in maybe a high powered version of that career path. So your experience at Disney, I worked at Google for a couple of years. When you're in an industry that is the industry, you're working as a finance professional in a finance track, or you're an engineer at a tech company, 
you can lose some confidence about your relative ability, right? So you look at Google, we have these staff engineers that have been there for 30 years and they wrote programming languages and they their names on papers that are fundamental to the field of computer science. And you're sitting there and you're like, I build up, so I don't know. And that can be super disheartening. But then when you go and you leave these fields and you leave these tracks, you're no longer in the in this org chart under the CFO of Disney. Now you're you're just a, a finance professional out in the world, you forget that everyone else who isn't a finance professional at all is way less experienced than you on these topics. Yeah. If you're an engineer in an engineering track and you leave that engineering company, your clients don't know anything about engineering. When you leave that track and you're no longer in this org chart under these fantastically talented people, you're suddenly the expert again. And that can be a hard shift to make. But I think, you know, for Julia... Now that you're working with these startups, even though before you were just a, another person at Disney in the finance department doing one of many business models, now you're the business model person in the room. And that has a lot of power. And I think that it's something that is a shift that's hard to make, but it's, it's one that you need to make mentally when you go out and start doing these things on your own. Yeah, I think that's really accurate. Sometimes I'm just like, are they sure? Like, am I saying it right? I feel like my old boss would like, yell at me <laughs> if he sees this but like, boss my there. like it's you i know that's <laughs> the whole thing yeah but it's also you know sometimes the standard and expectation is very different when you're working for like a company that's like going public and literally all those numbers are going to be like everywhere when i google like disney plus investor day presentation i still see the number output from my model which at the time when i was watching i was like oh my god i can't believe they show those like I tweaked it. <laughs> like, don't say that, but I tweaked it. I'm like, I'm not really sure if you show that. But things like that, where you realize that while like suddenly you do have the authority and the expertise, but you still want to be- make sure that you're like actually delivering things like to the standard, right? So like I hit up a lot of my old like coworkers and even bosses to walk through what I'm doing. And exactly this is the type of model I'm building. Like, does this make sense to you? And they all give me like, really good feedback and then I improve on it and keep building on it and then it also increases my like level of confidence uh, right because now I know that even people that I work with who are super smart and talented before they basically look at it and they're like this makes sense to me and keep doing what you're doing the more different professional people in the same field that you work with the more I guess like school of thoughts that you get exposed to and then ultimately you can probably form your own after really seeing the different ways of doing it. And that's maybe a common misconception about being a freelancer or even just kind of being the head of an agency is that that means that you're now working by yourself. But being a freelancer means that you have lots of opportunities and lots of control over collaboration, who you get to collaborate with in what capacity. And just because now you're independent doesn't mean that you can't be working with other really brilliant people in your field and learning and growing your skills through that collaborative process. And so I'm starting to get like a little bit of a hint of why you may have transitioned into what you're doing now. But from an onlooker's perspective, especially me who went to school with a bunch of film and business students in LA where the dream job was to work at Disney. And for other people potentially in financial planning and analysis or related fields, working at a mega behemoth company like Alibaba would be like the kind of the dream. That's where you want to be. You have a good salary, good benefits. You're getting to fly to China every month. I bet that's not too bad if you're interested in travel. (laughs) 
So what was the catalyst that got you to, in the middle of a global pandemic, send it out on your own and start your own consulting business? Yeah. I mean, I think one day I started to realize that I was just chasing all those golden trophies that I thought were like my goals, right? Like when I was in college, I was trying to prove myself the easiest way to prove yourself is to get in, get a good job, get into a big company, put some big labels on yourself. So I was like, well, everyone's trying to go into consulting. Well, I guess like for me, it was a little bit different. I started a nonprofit that I mentioned, Healthy Single Mothers. It won the McKinsey Women's Impact Award. And basically I started joining this um, crew that starts getting brainwashed by consulting and everyone's like recruiting <laughs> for consulting. Like this is like the best job. So yeah, I was like part of that. And I thought, you know, that was like the the next trophy. and very luckily got it and then got in. I was just like, well, there are like really good things about it. There was like fancy dinner, like fancy hotels in Miami that everyone's like staying at and all those like meals. But at the same time, I'm like, not really sure if I'm working on something I'm really passionate about, especially because the industry is pretty random. And especially if you're like a (laughs) first year junior analyst, that also means that you're not really driving much you're not having like as much ownership maybe down the road but at the time i was a little uncertain about if i actually want to pursue consulting in corporate full-time so came across disney that was kind of like the next thing it was like the dream job at the time and i mentioned the crazy networking i've done and finally got it and after i got it i realized well you know it's just another job it's like yes it's working on really cool content i was like building the future of disney plus which is like a streaming service that is launching at the time I didn't know, but literally (laughs) we were building every single decision. Like we formed the decision of like adding in Star Wars content, Marvel's content. And then we were acquiring 21st Century Fox and like putting on that geo content. And at the time I had like no idea what I was doing. And now when I look back, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. But is that what I want to do forever? Do I want to just be a financial modeler for one thing forever? Or do I need to learn about like different skill sets and work with different people? And that's when I realized maybe I need to make another career shift and try to work on something that you can get like a really holistic experience and bird's eye view of the business. And she, the staff, I think was the hottest like role at the time, like, or <laughs> even now, like so many people are like looking for chief staff roles. And it was really random for me. I think I just like got really jaded one day um, with my financial modeling job and I was like do I still want to be a building model I need to get out and I was like at the gym I think yeah I was like scrolling on LinkedIn I was just feeling like I was just messaging my friends I'm like I think I need to quit and then came across this job and people were like did you see this posting um it's like a chief of staff road at Alibaba and I grew up in China so I'm like fully bilingual my family's in China I was like oh that seems interesting I always wanted to work with China and it's like a chief of staff road which is like seems like all the cool people are going for so like (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly um and then i i was like okay so i basically like emailed the president and literally heard back from him the second day and like within two weeks got the job and i was like okay (laughs) i need to now break my lease sell my car and move my cat from LA to new york so (laughs) did that and it was crazy definitely not enjoyable don't want to think about it again um but yeah it was like okay on to the next thing this is the next trophy i got which is very lucky that every step i was like actually getting the thing i wanted but you only feel the emptiness after you get it i don't know like uh, there probably is a saying but it's like consumerism right i mean you always want the next iphone or the next car or whatever then you get it and you're like oh well this actually isn't that great i've got it now now what exactly And, and it's like you have a different goal or dream like at every point of time and after you get 
your previous, like, I guess, like achievement, you you're on to the next thing. So I don't know, it's something about like human never being satisfied with what they have. <laughs> Maybe sometimes I'm like, I need to take a step back and just appreciate what I have. But that's the nature, I think. So after I did join Alibaba's as chief of staff, I was like getting all those like really cool experience. My boss was like going to all those like TV talk shows and I'm just like going with following him. And I'm like, wow, this is cool. <laughs> Flying to China every month back and forth and being involved in all those high level discussions and literally being the youngest person in the office, but like managing a lot, right? Like having a lot on my shoulder. I think it was a great learning experience. I probably wouldn't have the courage to just go off and do my own thing if I didn't experience that. But at the same time, realized that, you know, I'm still working for a corporation. I'm not really in charge of any decision and probably mm-hmm. won't be even in like, I don't know, a decade, maybe. I'm always going to be working <laughs> for someone else and doing something that's not exactly aligned with my vision and my belief. And like I said, you're kind of restricted to the people that you're supposed to work with. And I was at the time in New York and I was like, there's so many events I want to go to. Never fits my schedule because I'm always in China when they're happening. I know that long term I want to be in entrepreneurship, but I have no time. Like I literally can (laughs) barely just like put my like I guess life back into shape like on the few weekends that I'm actually in New York. So I just felt like I like networking. I like going to events. I like exploring new things. But with the pressure and everything with the job, it's impossible. And I have no time to myself to explore the path that I'm actually going to go pursue. So I think after it was after Christmas and New Year's break, I like basically finally took a break away from the everyday craziness, like all those like work and travel. And I realized that I feel like I lost myself. I feel like I lost the... (laughs) you know, that really passionate younger me who built the nonprofit, who like had a fire in her heart. Like in high school, I was like building this public speaking organization. Now it's like almost a decade after they're still running. And I was like the kind of rebellious kid in a Chinese, (laughs) traditional Chinese high school who was like, you know, people need to talk about their ideas. We need to like (laughs) think critically. We need to express our thoughts. Like we need to talk. So like things like that, that I've like done in the past, I felt like gradually lost that entrepreneurial me. And it was almost like I heard a calling back to that. Sure. So you take this time off in December. How long after that then did you pull the plug on the career. So I had like, I guess like two weeks off for holiday, came back literally, went back into the office for a day. At the time, I still thought I'm going to like stay on. It just took like a day. And I was like, (laughs) oh my gosh. And I I was sitting there. I was just like, what am I doing with my life? So I like, I quit immediately without a plan. (laughs) And I was just like, I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I know I can't stay here. And I know that if I stay here, I would never know what I'm going to do next. So So, yeah, I like- I've had- Two or three experiences of the same thing where you make that kind of soft decision. You're like, all right, this thing isn't working. Something's got to change. Something's got to change, but it's not now. I'll stick with it for six more months, three more months. And then, yeah, you go back in the next day after you make that soft decision. And it's just that first stupid thing that happens. Just the first little like, like the coffee machine's broken. And you're like, F this place. I'm out of (laughs) here. Yeah, I think... Maybe I should have taken more like rationally, whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I'm, no, I guess I'm pretty no, impulsive. I mean, <laughs> it's so funny because I did the exact same thing a year earlier. I had my holiday break. I was at home thinking like, nah, I don't know what's going on. But, you know, I'll stick this out for a little bit. Get back in the office the first day. I'm like, yeah, I'm out of here. And uh, there you go. <laughs> right? So, All you need sometimes is a change of scenery and 
a different yeah. type of lifestyle and you realize the difference. Sometimes if you're in something for so long, it becomes your routine. It's really hard to realize if you're unhappy with How it. So I think like even having like a check-in with yourself like every month or at least every quarter asking yourself if this is what you really want to do are you like really happy are you really fulfilling is so important yeah. even now like I, I started questioning myself I'm like a couple months into doing freelancing and yeah I like worked with a lot of awesome people but sometimes I ask myself am I building towards my long-term goal I can keep doing freelance work I can keep working and making income but like that's still not paving towards like my long-term goal of me starting my own startup. So maybe I need to work with startup just specifically in this area that I wanted mm -hmm. to further like learn and grow upon. Or maybe I need to like branch out to like different things and get all those skill set. Like what is my next thing, right? Like, and then I'm like kind of pivoting myself as well, trying to take on fewer things that are irrelevant, maybe be more focused and try to be more intentional with my like time and my choices. So yeah, I think it's like an ongoing process. And even when you're like your own boss, it's like the same thing. When you need a steer to ship, you're the captain now. You really need to know where you should be driving this. Yeah. You don't want to go on the wrong path, like down. And then years later, realize that, wow, I just like wasted. I mean, not really wasted, but like I could have been doing something that maybe is more fulfilling. Something Elliot and I advocate for a lot is the kind of the safe path, right? Of like, hey, okay, you want to switch into freelancing, you want to switch into starting a company, start the company, start doing sales, maybe even get a project that you work nights and weekends to build up some extra cash, get your first client under your belt, and then make that transition. But for a lot of us, that's not an option because we don't have the time or energy, some combination thereof of the two, because of our day job. And so sometimes or a it's the riskier agreement. Path. There's all sorts of stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. That's true too. Which aren't really enforceable typically in most states, but that's we don't need to get into legal. <laughs> we don't need to get into legal <laughs> advice. <laughs> don't listen to James. Don't listen to me. I'm not a lawyer. I, I think we now legally have to say that now that I open my mouth. But sometimes, even though it is a riskier decision, you have to take the leap so that you have time to do these things. So like Julia said, sometimes you just need to take change of scenery. So a little bit of self-reflection. Ask yourself, what am I doing? Where am I going? And sometimes the answer of what's next is leaving your job first and figuring out the next steps later. So thank you, Julia, for sharing that. Yeah. And I think the most important thing is to really believe in yourself and put in whatever it takes for whatever you're trying to build and wherever you want to go. And I think if you always like believe in yourself and follow the path that you want to go and follow the path that you actually want to go down, I think you're never going to regret it. Like people ask me, do you regret like taking the leap? Do you regret quitting like a great corporate path. And I'm just like, well, I've always chose myself. I didn't chose a external label. So sometimes people ask me, do you regret like quitting this corporate path? Mm -hmm. And now, you know, being completely on your own and have to figure out basically everything yourself. But I think if you choose yourself, you'll never regret it because you choose yourself over any external factors, whether it's like a label or anything that is monetary. You're like, actually pursuing your own passion. And that's something you would never regret. Totally agree. So Julia, something that I've learned from my wife's experience in finance and accounting, as well as just with accountants and analysts that I've worked with personally, is that a lot of finance and accounting professionals lack strategy. They're very process oriented, and they're fantastic at it. If you can direct them, they'll do a great job. But as soon as you need help on a more strategic level, they just completely seize up. They don't know how to answer the questions. They don't know how to think strategically. They're basically just 
you give them an order and, and they do it well. You obviously don't have that problem. So for someone who's listening to this, who might be an accounting manager or a financial analyst, some other technical process heavy profession who wants to eventually make the move to freelancing, starting an agency, anything that's going to require that more strategic work, what do you recommend they do, read, listen to, consume prepare to help with. develop? Yeah, prepare with mm. to help develop that strategic mindset. I think the first thing that you have to do is you have to experience what your client experience, meaning whatever if it's just like a side hobby or whatever, do like some sort of entrepreneurial thing, start something from scratch and then actually learn the process. Like for me, I mentioned I did something in college and now I'm like trying to start this like whole side dropshipping business, literally just spend the past weekend, like building a new Shopify store, like figuring out all the like backend and branding and all that. And that I think helps me also just like understand it, right? Like from a strategic level, if you are a business owner, what do you care about? Like, why do you want to find a freelancer to help you with this issue? And if you do find someone, what do you hope that this person helped you with? So I think like experiencing it firsthand is, I would say the most effective way of just like putting yourself in the shoe of your client and whoever you're working with. So I think maybe that's the first thing. Secondly, I think like you said, accounting and finance is like pretty different from strategy. I wouldn't even say I have a very strong like finance accounting background, even though now people say that I'm like the financial modeler because building financial model that's like a projection model is all just like using your tool to translate the, the strategy and the idea. Whereas if you're like an accounting and you know, finance professional, you're really going for the fact base, like making sure everything's accurate. But like, honestly, the model I built, like there's no like right model. It's all just like an informed decision making process. So I think kind of shifting that lens and being less like focused on being 100% correct and more 80-20 more into like a consultant mindset is helpful. And yeah, I think just like learning the different ways of kind of like working with different people is also very helpful because sometimes if you're just like in a profession for very long, you work with the same boss, very difficult to kind of shift a mindset and be working with like 10 different people with a completely different personality and works working style. Very cool. I'm processing that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so any specific media that you'd recommend to people who are just looking to get started and do what you do or follow a similar path, whether that's books, you talked about starting your own course. So maybe one day that will be a recommendation we can include, but <laughs> courses, YouTube videos, influencers, the whole gamut, anything you would recommend to people? I've been a pretty big like Tim Ferriss fan. Honestly, like been reading a lot of his books lately four-hour work week, tribe of mentors. And I think that's kind of the mindset, especially for entrepreneurs or freelancers, right? You wanted to figure out ways to automate, increase efficiency. So I would recommend that. Courses, because I've already learned all those like modeling stuff at Disney. I didn't really take any online course. And then all the kind of branding and marketing stuff, I think I kind of just like tried it out. And I was like, I hope this works. And then um, I think- Welcome to the world of, of marketing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it ended up working. So I haven't like personally taken any. I probably should. I'm trying to you know, learn about BC, learn about dropshipping, a lot of like different things. That's not really in my skill set. But yeah, you know, so far I have not yet. I haven't gotten the chance. I should probably branch out. 
utter stuff. I recommend Disney Plus to everyone uh, for professional <laughs> development, selfishly. Gotta bump those numbers. I know, exactly. The other day, I just heard that Mulan became like a premium purchase. I was like, oh God, my first reaction is like, thank God I'm not the analyst behind it. That seems like a nightmare. And then I contact my friends at Disney. They're like, yeah, that took like four weeks of nonstop work. I was like, yeah. And you're I'm like, glad. that's why I, I, I can only left. think about how complicated. <laughs> Yeah, the Not model my problem. <laughs> but anyways, I personally actually don't watch a lot of TV. It just takes us so much time. Yeah. yeah. Maybe once in a while, like movie, but yeah. I would say books I definitely find really helpful. Daily stock is actually really good. Um everything mm. just like read a little short paragraph and try to motivate myself. Lately I've been using this app called Fabulous. It's not really media, but basically it's like a self development, routine, habit building type of app that reminds you to do all those things that you tend to forget, especially if you're like just hustling as a freelancer. (laughs) I had a month where I just like go to bed at 5am and totally forgot about my workout. Whereas like before I used to work out every morning at 6am. And now I'm just like, I don't even know what that means anymore. Like, (laughs) Eat Hard to do that anymore. when you go to bed at 5 a.m. and then wake up at 6 a.m. to work out. <laughs> it's a very different workout. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think like just habit building, like kind of forcing myself, try to be better at least, like have some time to yourself, like still have your kind of self-care evenings and weekends. And I was pretty bad at it, to be very honest, when I first became a freelancer, just because I just always feel like I need to be working, I need to be building, I need to be taking whatever is coming my way. And Ultimately, I like burnt out, right? Like started feeling physically unwell, like started feeling that just kind of very lethargic, which is not normal for me. And that's when I realized, okay, you can't just keep pursuing things and not giving yourself time. So yeah, I would say, yeah, exactly. That's not exactly all media, but uh, I think it's just like all all sorts of, yeah, all sorts of things that I'm like currently using and trying to, you know, be better and just like have some reading time every night yeah Yeah. so for anybody who's looking to contact julia please check her out her website at juliashoeconsulting.com and again we'll have a link to that in the liner notes like always even if you're not interested in julia's service if you're ever planning on selling your services online julia's website she just said that she just learned this herself i don't believe her i think she's lying (laughs) because this website is perfect it really is almost a master class in copy in organization, the flow, she goes from her tagline, which describes what she does in a single sentence to more detail, but not too much detail, because then she switches to the social proof, showing that people like her work. And even just the mood, it's cute without being kitschy. The colors are fun, but they still maintain a seriousness to them. So again, if you have any interest in freelancing or running an agency of any sort, and you want to see kind of a really, really fantastic example of how to sell services online, Please go check out Julia's site at juliashrewconsulting.com. It's really, really fantastic. So thank you so much, Julia, for coming on. It's been a really great episode. I had a really great time. And uh, hopefully we can have you on again sometime. Thank you so much. Really appreciate this. On next week's episode, we're joined by Tom Critchlow to talk about his work as an independent strategy consultant and co-founder of Brooklyn Art Collective, Fiercely Curious, as well as his upcoming relaunch of one of my favorite email newsletters, Little Futures. Until then, stay safe as you walk whichever of the hundreds of ways belongs to you.